Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 4, Episode 13 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast. It's slated to come out on October 11th, 2021, and uh, we're going to just jump right into it. After our long break, we come to you bearing tidings of brewing and technology and wine, uh, because that's what we're doing now. Well, that and I'm also drinking coffee every now and then. So, uh, Ricky, why don't you tell us about the wine? Yeah, so I picked this up at the local farmer's market. This is Chatham Hill Carlos. It's a recipe from 1890. It says, Chatham Hill Carlos wine is made from the beautiful bronze Scuppernal grape. The 1890 recipe has been passed down through the century. The Carlos wine has a golden hue and silky smooth light and velvety finish. The best sweet wine in America. Which that's a pretty bold statement to put on your last yeah, line. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is a very bold statement. I don't know if I agree with that last statement. Um, it is a very good Scuppernog wine. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. It's very wet. It's not uh, very leggy. Yeah. So there's not a lot of tannins. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so if you're if you're wanting something that's a white wine but also has a lot of um, depth of exploration and flavor and things mm-hmm. like that. None of that is kind of a one-note wine. It's yep. sweet, uh, but it's grape sweet, so it's not like um, a bunch of sugar yep. just added to grape juice, uh, which I like. Um, but yeah, this is uh, this is pretty pretty on par with something like the Firebrand. Um, what's the ABV on it? I think it's twelve percent. Okay, that's about right for something like this. Yeah, uh, doesn't it, you? I mean, you wouldn't really be able to tell that it's 12% necessarily. Um, yeah, I, I think for a North Carolina wine that's a sweet Scuppernog-type wine, yeah. this is this is one of the better ones. It doesn't have that kind of off flavor that a lot of Scuppernog wines yeah. have. Yeah, what I really like about it is it's a really high acid wine, but it's got a very good acid profile. Mm-hmm. Like... It punches you. It's very, it's not citrusy, just, you know, if you've ever had something that's not like a citric acid mm-hmm. in food, um, it hits your tongue hard, almost like a, like a vinegar. Um, but it's got such a pleasant flavor to that. You know, it's not like off-putting, even though it is very sharp. Yes, definitely. Um, so, tell me, uh, you, you said there was also a red wine. There yes. is. Yeah. They do a red um, that I couldn't bring over because I couldn't uh, find them at the farmer's market again in time before the episode. But the red's even better. So I want to bring that one over at some time because it does have more of those tannins. It's got better depth of flavor. Um, it's still also sweet. Both of their muscadines are very sweet. Um, but overall, I'm kind of happy with both of them. I think it's only like 16 bucks for a bottle. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, that's not a bad price. If I could get it for 10 I'd say this is a, this is a great mm-hmm. wine because this is kind of on par with – like the Firebrand holiday wine, like as far as like um, flavor, uh, like equality. I wouldn't say mm-hmm. the profile is the same, but like, you know, this is a sweet wine. That's a sweet wine. That one's spiced. Mm-hmm. This one's more acidic. But like in comparison between each other, if you're just comparing how deep they go into flavor, yeah. they're, they're not very deep. They're kind of one note. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one note they have is good. So, uh, yeah, if you're looking for something sweet to drink, this is a good yeah. one. And if you have a Chatham Hill uh, or Chatham Hill, I think is, is how it's pronounced. But if you have that, um, you know, available to you in your area, 
you should pick it up or if you're in North Carolina you should grab one yeah it's certainly really nice we could also grab some other things from them they do um, some like blended wines that like half the it, I, I won't say percentages because I don't actually know but just you can see it like on the advertisement how they talk about it because they were doing a tasting there where they've got um, like French grapes they've got that juice mm. brought in yeah. or they're growing them themselves here and then mixing it in with like muscadine and other things so it's kind of got like you know, it's like a champagne with a finish hmm. that they put onto it and things like that, um, which were all very nice. We, we tasted like six different things, all of which were good. Um, these two muscadines just really stuck out because it's, I won't say like muscadine wines aren't good. It's just, it's harder to find a good one because there's so few of them that get made. It is. It's much harder to find a really good muscadine wine. And it's really hard to find a good uh, sweet wine like this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there's Moscatos and things like that, but normally sweet wines that are, you know, these like port, mm-hmm. you know, flavor wines or something like that. Cause I know that's like a whole category. Yeah. Ports can be wonderful and delicious, but they're so much. You can yeah. only have a tiny amount. This is yeah. more of like something you could split a bottle with a friend and yep. be happy with it. Yeah. That's exactly what we did with the red is, uh, there was a little much to do all in one sitting, but in two sittings, we just wiped out the bottle. Hmm. You can almost treat it like table wine. Yeah. So let's talk about our Skeeter P. I don't like that name anymore. <laughs> the um, way you say it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, it, so I kind of expected this to be kind of like the uh, lemonade mead that we made before, mm-hmm. which was a little, um, overly, it had that footy kind yeah. of, there was definitely some sulfur to it. It was yeah. a hard fermentation. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even on top of that, it was like the, the, the lemon, um, juice and everything just, it, it didn't taste right. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't the right amount of sweetness and bitterness and sourness and everything to kind of mm. like balance each other out. I feel like this recipe really all the things that you love about lemonade on the back porch Mm -hmm. it captures that and the 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 mead recipe that we adapted to be basically the same amount of sweetness um you know to be eaten through that one did it even better because it has the residual honey sweetness after it so i I just the name kind of yeah it's a weird (laughs) name but man i mean i gotta i gotta give props to the original recipe creator at least the recipe that we got i'm not sure if that's the original but mm-hmm. they clearly put a lot of time and effort into balancing that flavor profile yeah because it is very nice yes it is it's very nice especially for i mean what we spent like 20 bucks yeah it's not that expensive yeah i, I mean of course you have to have the equipment and everything like that but mm-hmm. let's say that you have to buy the equipment you have to buy the so a five gallon bucket mm-hmm. um your chemicals are about $10. So that's like 20 bucks. And then it's 20 bucks worth of materials, roughly. You know, I, I don't want to say exact because things like that you know, fluctuate. Mm-hmm. But let's say you're invested for $40 in all the stuff that you need to do it before bottling. You know, at bottling time, you're going to have to spend another like $40 or so. But if you make a batch every time you run out of bottles and you just have yep. a, you collect all your beer bottles and stuff like that, because you're buying a bottle and you get free beer. You know, at that point, Um, if you do all that, then you're looking at, you know, being invested somewhere in the $60 range, Mm -hmm. maybe. Um, 
Yeah. I mean, it's cheaper than like the ciders we make. Yeah. Because, you know, you just buy that concentrated lemon juice. It's a lot cheaper than buying like five gallons of apple juice. Yep. And the mead's only slightly more, um, you know, yeah. hard to make or, or more expensive. It's, yeah. It it's adds just like the difference another $20, in price $30. Between, yeah. yeah, exactly. It's just the difference in price between white sugar and honey. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, exactly. So I think uh, this is like, I can't wait until we're, we're going to rack it today, bottle it, and then um, take the, uh, you know, the final gravity reading, do all that stuff, mm-hmm. put the drops in to carbonate if we want to carbonate. So, because I think we talked about carbonating half of it and, not, yeah. and leaving half of it still. Um, so we're going to do all that today, uh, right after we finish this show. And then we'll be back in like two or three episodes to talk about how it... You know and how it all tasted. Yeah. yeah. Well, how how it uh, ferment, how it how it uh, yeah carbonated, process. you know everything like that. So don't want to give away too much, but I do just want to let everybody know it's come along really well. We yeah. did it over the break, and it's been good. Yeah, the tastings from going to primary Sorry. to secondary were amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, even with no aging, no resting, no degassing, anything, it was good. Yeah, it absolutely and. It didn't really have the sulfur footiness yeah, to it. Yeah, it really didn't. And that's, that's I think, the most impressive part because it's really hard to brew in these high acid conditions. Um, you know, you get a little bit too much lemon juice and it just kills you. And I kind of think that was the problem with our first lemonade mead. Mm-hmm. We went back and tried to, like, make a second one using, like, lemonade powder. That, that one was, overall, it fermented better, but it didn't have the right taste. Nah. Now, this hit that great balance. I mean, I wonder how much, like how many batches the first person had to make to get that ratio right. Well, so we, the the difference between the two things that we were doing, this is a wine, right? And we did a mead and all we did was just like substitute. But the honey that we chose, I think, is a big part of this at this point because the first time we did it, we did it with wildflower honey, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. We did it with orange blossom. We did it with orange blossom? Yeah, okay. that's almost all I carry. That's what I got the big batches of. But, I mean, regardless, I understand exactly what yeah. you're saying. Um, flavor profile, honey choice, and all that has a huge a huge impact on that, even what type of yeast you get, because it leaves, you know, its own flavors behind. Yeah, and we used Red but, Star the last time and not EC111. Yeah, so, like, flavor-wise, I'm kind of discounting that. I'm just saying, like, the roughness of the fermentation. Because yeah. both are, well, the first one we had that came out, Really footy, had a lot of sulfur to it. We had to let it degas for a while. Um, you know, we didn't have that problem with this one. No. Nope. Because it, it skirted, I guess, just on that line of being acidic but not too acidic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, de- definitely. I'm not uh, I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying there's a lot of a lot of variables. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Flavor is its own monster you got to try and tame. Yeah. And we used um, some – because like last time we used uh, – what, what were the, the chemicals we used in it for the – was it Fermade? Okay. No, um, I had a, uh, from the, the local brew store, they do what is essentially uh, a vitamin mix, which is like yeast holes ground up with some extra supplements and stuff like that. Yeah, and we didn't use that this time. We used just basically like really basic uric acid and uh, yeast holes with some wine, with some tannin, I think. Yeah. I, I substituted some tannin in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, um, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to, uh, doing it because it's it's rested. I feel like it's ready to go. Yeah. Um, we'll test it here in a few minutes to make sure it didn't like do anything weird. And we have to throw the batch out or something. But mm. yep. Um, so let's talk about that Fio BTR three K you got sitting right there beside you. Um, 
that's a Bluetooth 5.0 receiver and a USB-C DAC. So you can plug Mm -hmm. it into your computer and use it as a DAC. I've been using it for about a week. All of our business meetings that we've had at Mm -hmm. work, I've just been plugging in a set of headphones to it and using that because it's got a mic on it uh, to to do my thing. So uh, I know what I think about it, but I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I kind of like it. Um, The audio quality for me was a little bit different in a good way. Um, it was a little bit brighter, a little bit crisper, um, not to an insane degree. But what I really like about it is that there's really no quality loss between when I had the headphones directly wired in and when I was using the DAC. So mm-hmm. like kind of all that stuff that can happen when you've got like a Bluetooth headset or something that's a little bit muddier, um, that wasn't really happening. And it lets you take a wired set of headphones and turn them into wireless headphones Mm -hmm. because there's always that price trade off there. When you get like a really nice, like Bluetooth headset, it's always more expensive than it's like wired counterpart. Mm -hmm. So you could just say, all right, well, instead of getting this wireless headset, I'm going to take that extra money and get an even better wired headset and then make it wireless with this little dongle. Yep. As long as it can, so it's it's got a limit on how much this amp can push, of Mm -hmm. course. Um, but as long as it can push, uh, heads, I mean, and, and, you know, you've got anything that's like, you know, um, low ohms, I think it's two, uh, ohms mm-hmm. or something like that up to, um, you know, uh, like 10 or 15 ohms. I'm, I'm not exactly sure what the range is on it because yeah. I didn't think about it until just now <laughs> to look that up. So maybe I'll do that while we're talking about it. But, um, and of course, uh, it, we're, well, let me just put this out here. We're not affiliated with FIO in any way. Uh, there's no sponsorship. I bought this with my own money. Uh, I just thought it was cool and I wanted to yeah. talk about it. Um, but it has um, Aptix HD, Aptix LL, LDAC support, and um, a balanced output, which is really mm-hmm. nice. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what the ohms are so I'll, I'll look that up but it's got a maximum amount of ohms so you can't pair it with like a really hard drive and I, I said two ohms a few minutes ago but you can't pair it with a really hard driving like yeah. uh, set of headphones that need a lot of power so you know probably no Sennheiser um, HD 800s or any or 880s or anything mm-hmm. like that I think that's the right model. The ones that really need are yeah, yeah. Fostexes that need a lot of power or, you know, anything like that. But if you've got a pair of Sennheiser um, HD 598s, I think that's what those are, or those are mm-hmm. 599s. Um, if you've got a pair of those, those um, work really well with this. Um, and, and, you know, the brightness and the bassiness also all has to do with whether they're closed or non-closed, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Uh, but I felt like it's been a very good sound quality for listening to music, um, for everything, whether it's plugged in, you're using the DAC Mm -hmm. or you're just, you know, comparing it to a similar source. Now, of course, if I'm going to something that's more like my, um, my, uh, shit stack, the, uh, the Magni Modi, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of thing. If I've got that, then that of course is a better experience. I think overall, but the convenience to experience for this is wonderful. And if you combine this with something that we'll talk about a little bit later, like the Sennheiser Bluetooth transmitter with a CD player or a mm. iPod or something like that, you have a really great experience 
that you may not otherwise get um, because your phone is constantly going to try to um, bother you about stuff. You know, it's constantly going to mm, update yeah. you. you don't People put are going to call. Do not disturb on or something. Yep. Yeah. I mean, even if you put the do not disturb on, there's certain things that still come through. Um, you know, I was, um, uh, I, had, I had, I have do not disturb on. Mm-hmm. I was in a meeting and, you know, using this and somebody called. And because um, the call came through on silence, it still just cut out my meeting. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have your setup to ignore? I did. I had it set up to ignore. Really? It just, it was one of those calls that just Interesting. came yeah. through. Because it's, uh, you know, you have your emergency contacts. It was from an emergency contact. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can, you got to go turn those off separately if you don't want the contacts to yeah. reach you. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, I hadn't done that. So, you know, phones are set up in such a way now where they're not really intended to mm. not have that experience. So if you want to decouple a little bit, you know, phones are great for convenience, but this gives you kind of a nice balance of that Bluetoothy convenience mm-hmm. with, um, you know, either the Sennheiser or the Airfly. The Airfly will pair to it really nicely too. Okay. Uh, so uh, I've talked about that before. The yeah. uh, the Bluetooth transmitter, um, you know. So when I'm like on a trip or something like that, I can plug, uh, you know, like a the Airfly in, mm-hmm. take this out, and I've got my experience there. Yeah, um, it's good to be able to transform those things, right? Because, like, even if you're, like, say you're in the situation, you've already got your really nice wired headset, but now you're going to get into, like, jogging outside or something that you really want to be wireless for. And you don't necessarily want to go buy another nice wireless headset. Well, you know, this thing is, like, what, $60, $70? I think uh, it's $69. 69 yeah. So, you know, that's cheaper than a, a good pair of headphones that are wireless. Mm-hmm. So you can just, you know, take the stuff you already got, throw it in there, get a little bit better audio quality out of it anyway. Kind of a win-win situation. Yeah, absolutely. I just do not have anything that I'm like, uh, this is not good. Everything mm-hmm. about it, I'm kind of like. What's the battery life on it? Um, I, I haven't run out of batteries yet, and I've used it all day. Okay. Yeah, I guess that's that's also a loaded question, right? That's very dependent on the power requirements of your headset. Yeah, but it's got but, a, it's, it's a, it's a Bluetooth, it's a Bluetooth, um, you know, low E kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's exactly. what I was saying. Like, I think the Bluetooth part of it probably lasts in a ridiculous long yeah. time. Your real factor is how much energy your headset needs. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, the, uh, the, the battery in it's a 55, uh, 550 milliamp battery. So, that, I mean, on something like this, okay. yeah. it says that it should last about nine hours and that's like all day. Yeah, uh, pretty much. Using it. Yeah, and that's not plugged in as a DAC because it charges if you plug mm-hmm. it in as a DAC and everything like that. And you can use it while it's plugged in. Um, it looks like it'll it'll output the th- on the three uh, three millimeter up to eighty ohms at thirty two or eighty milliwatts at thirty two ohms, okay. or um, two hundred and twenty milliwatts at thirty two ohms on the two point five milliwatt millimeter. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty, that's pretty respectable. Yeah. yeah. Um, for a little thing like this. Now, I mean, this is the kind of small brother of the BTR5, uh, which, oh, I actually said that wrong. It's 25 milliwatts at 32 ohms or 75, 78 milliwatts at 32 ohms. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, that's still really respectable. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. Unless you're like a power user with a really like specialized set of headphones, 
your headphones are probably going to work with this. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, these Sennheiser sound great. I've got mm-hmm. a got a pair of um, the uh, Audio Technica um, 25s, I think. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember the model number, but I've got a pair of those on, and that's they sound good through this too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that's what I'm using to monitor the uh, the podcast as we're talking. Yeah. Uh, and I also set things wrong. So the working time is 11 hours, not nine hours. Okay. And Getting better. The, uh, the battery is smaller at 330. Uh, okay. Milli- uh, but still though, you know, if you're averaging 11 hours, what does it matter? Right? Yeah. Like at that point, that's a whole work day. I mean, for most people, that's a whole work day and your commute. Mm-hmm. If you were going to like put this in between, you know, like your car stereo or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do a lot of like really neat stuff with it, and mm-hmm. in the car stereo, you could just plug it in. Yeah, you know, um, yeah. So I'm very impressed with it. I I think if anybody's looking for a Bluetooth receiver, uh, for whatever reason, they should totally check this out. Um, and like I said, there'll be a link in the show notes mm-hmm. um, below. So feel free to buy it. I, we don't get any compensation off of it. Just do it because it's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's talk about windows 11 and some of the, some of the junk that it's been getting. Have you been following that? Not too heavily, but I, I heard a little bit of it and I did some research before the podcast. Okay. Uh, so what does your research say? Um, most of my research is a lot of people kind of getting up in arms about potential security vulnerabilities that kind of all boil down to normal stuff. Anyway, on a technical end, the biggest complaint I've seen is, they're sharing a lot of code bases with Windows 10, which that's incredibly normal. Every yeah. operating system builds off of its old code. Um, but then the rest of it is, is all very valid security concerns, but they're user-driven. It's like these are some known malwares. We've seen people trying to push out, trying to mark a file saying, oh, this isn't compatible. Uh, it needs the new Windows 11 alpha or something like that to get you to click on that thing mm-hmm. to run their script and you know get your malware on there. Uh, which is that's still a legitimate vulnerability, but that's not a Windows 11 vulnerability, you know? That's yeah. uh, tricking people into something because something's new out and preying on their lack of knowledge about it. So actually what, what, I'm, what I'm referring to with this uh, topic is that Windows 11 takes all the things that Windows did, uh, Windows 10 did, to mm-hmm. like make you conform to the platform and then turn on all of their telemetry and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, marketing and ad, you know, you know, based stuff yeah. uh, on their platform to an 11. So it just like ramps it up. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's um, definitely a very like Apple software as a service style uh, OS, which I'm not a big fan of. No. That's why I'm not really that interested in upgrading. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not that interested in upgrading. I feel like at some point they're probably going to try to push you like they did windows XP users mm-hmm. to Vista um, and so, you know, I'll see how that turns out. Uh, you know, I would predict that they're probably going to be like, well, we'll give you a free windows upgrade. Oh yeah. Uh, they were already going to do that. Yeah. And all this other stuff. And you know, they're going to make it timed. They're going to try to pressure people to do it. And then they're, they've already called, you know, that windows 10 is going to be into support like they did windows, mm-hmm. you know, um, seven. So I'm expecting that um, at some point you're going to have no choice but to upgrade. And the one of the things that's killer about it, because the way that they're 
So privacy concerns aside, because of the way that they're implementing their uh, TPM chip requirements, mm. and, and and that's fine. I mean, I'm not um, I'm not against a TPM chip requirement, but the way that they're marketing and pushing this, you know, operating system, mm-hmm. I definitely don't want to be one of the early adopters on my oh, main yeah. rig. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, my main rig is a gaming rig. The the laptops and, and desktops that I personally own that are mine, um, except for my gaming rig, are all Linux-based for mm. this very reason. I, I like being able to, you know, have the freedom to choose what I want in the system. If I don't like it, you know, like I kind of push myself off to the other thing. Not not saying Linux is always better than than um, uh, Windows or anything mm. like that. I mean, there's you know pros and cons to both. That's just my preference, um, you know. But with my gaming machine, I don't want to be one of the first people to get on this and then have my performance for my games yeah. tank because Windows is doing some screwed up stuff to try to pull all the you mm. know Facebook esque data out of whatever they can to sell it to their partners so that they can make an extra buck on the operating system. They've already, you know, they might've given to me for free, but more than likely I had to pay an exorbitant amount anyway for it. Yeah. New copies will certainly cost you quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I really agree with a lot of that. I was an early adopter of Vista and that got me off of ever being an early adopter for an OS again. Yep. Um, that was a very painful experience. I don't know. It's one of those things where, like, a lot of softwares I will be an early adopter for because I know how important that role is. Being someone that's there, especially if you're technical, and if a problem happens, you, you don't panic. You don't run to support. They need to fix it right now. You know, like, I, I've run plenty of systems past their end of support date. I've never had to call Windows support or really any support ever because we're technical people. You know, I, yep. I handle that stuff myself. So I know I'm valuable in that regard. But OSs are just so complicated, and the softwares that run on them are so vast. Mm-hmm. You can't test them all, and you're 100% right. For all you know, look, they've tested everything they could think to test. You slap it on, you boot up your favorite game, and some driver incompatibility is there. You know, I think about the in Vista, there was all that arrow stuff yep. that just mulch performance. Yep. You know, that sort of stuff can happen again. And- so. It seems like right now, based off of the like kind of beta builds of Windows 11, that compared to Windows 10, which this is an optimization thing, mm-hmm. um, but it's got to do with the way that they're implementing this kind of uh, marketing thing that they're doing. Um, the you know, I know that's vague. I'm not making any accusations. So, you know, don't take this as like tech news that this is your first source. If you want mm. to learn about like the nitty gritty of it, either go research it yourself or go to uh, like Linus Tech Tips where they do like a dedicated video mm. on this. I'm just talking about the topic like kind of from my, my perspective. Yeah. But I, I don't want to see a 15 to 20% reduction in my very expensive yeah. gaming computer right now. So I'm, I'm just not, I'm not going to, for that reason, I'm not going to upgrade to Windows 11 right off the bat. I might, I may do it. Just on my, because right now I've got two gaming computers. I've got my my one that I bought with the 3080, that, and then I've got my one that I've had a 2070 in for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll probably upgrade the 2070 
and see how that affects this older machine. It doesn't yeah. have, it has software TPM, all that other stuff. And then I'll probably leave the 3080 because if the 2070 loses a little bit of performance, I'm not going to care as much, but I'm going to be really like teed off if my yeah, you know, well, 3080 that's, does. That's always the hard part of having a custom computer, right? So like Windows to an extent makes the drivers for the machine um, really only for generic hardware, which that's always a crapshoot anyway. Because if you're using the generic drivers, the manufacturer doesn't even make drivers. So you're just completely beholden to, to whatever happens on it. I remember getting quite a few cases early in my career about things exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, OS changed. Now none of their generic driver software stuff really worked that well anymore. And in custom machines, you know, your manufacturer for your parts has a decision to make of... Are they going to go back? And clearly, they're cutting edge stuff. They'll put a lot of time in. But if you've got that five, six-year-old motherboard or that three or four-year-old graphics card, I mean, they're probably using a tool to generate those drivers. They're not high-combing them. They're not going in and doing huge performance tests on old hardware. Well, so the the motherboard and everything like that, okay, you're sure fine. You know, it's a... Still one of the most popular... Yeah, well, I'm know, not saying like your personal equipment. Yeah. I'm just saying like in general, if you're someone who owns a custom computer, especially if it's on the older end, like the one I just retired this year, you know, switching to a new operating system is not necessarily smooth. It's yeah, really yeah. beholden onto what effort has been put in, and especially at the early stages when they don't have a lot of testers, you know, who knows what that's going to look like. Gets you back into that arrow situation where tons of stuff was breaking down yeah. constantly because they didn't know how to handle that new graphics layer. Yeah, well, but the 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 thing I think here is this isn't something that's necessarily about how drivers don't work because fundamentally Windows 11 is using a lot of the same stack that Windows 10 is for that. If I'm understanding the technicals of it correctly, yeah, code bases are pretty yeah, similar. Yeah, so so the it's not so much it's it's like Windows 10 originally and Windows 7 used a lot of the same. Mm. code base for that because you're able to take the drivers from seven and put them into 10 pretty much for the most part at the beginning. Uh, And that changed over time, of course, but right now that seems to be the case with 11 and 10. Um, More I'm talking about that. There seems to be a prioritization of what windows 11 will do with the processes that it's using, if I understand correctly. And so all the marketing data gathering stuff Mm -hmm. takes out prioritization over the, the front and center thing that you're doing and they're using, sorry about that, everybody. I bumped the the mic, Um, but they're using the, this to like be able to, to take away Mm. power from, you know, whatever your front and center application is and push it off to yeah, those the performance optimization stuff. Yeah. 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 And that's always, it's been a little bit of a crapshoot. I've had a couple times in my career, I've needed to go and like do the manual setting of how high on the priority list certain processes are. Mm-hmm. But, and I think they've taken that away with this. Really? That's what, that's one of the big problems. Oh yeah. yeah. They've done that. That's a serious no, no. Yeah. Um, you know, it, that's one of those things I actually don't expect it will affect like gaming computers that often. Cause they generally have, a surplus of resources. But I think like those budget machines, especially I think about like a lot of engineering machines mm-hmm. doing things like AutoCAD and stuff yep. that that'll be a huge impact know. on those, but yeah. it is, it is reducing the gaming performance in most AAA games 
like really? Tomb Raider and stuff by about twenty percent. Really? On high end graphics cards. Wow, that's that's crazy. I would think you know like because because all optimization does for those is give resource availability preferences. Mm-hmm. So for you to be seeing degraded performance, it means you are hitting the upper limits of well, basically your resource capacity, yeah. which is which is a little bit odd, I guess. Except for maybe you know now that I'm talking about it, most of these people taking these sort of performance metrics have other software that is taking those metrics for them while they play. So there might be some conflict there. Maybe maybe it's giving more prioritization to those those applications that are recording these statistics and so they're dropping the game down i but i don't think so because if you do the same thing with the same software on windows 10 mm-hmm. you get 20 percent more performance well, no, but that's exactly what i'm saying like is if they've built in this new optimization stuff that you can't control is it falsely optimizing your benchmark tools and not the game it it seems to be that the processes that it's optimizing for are mm-hmm. all around the um data scraping engines that Microsoft has in Really? Windows I just can't 11. imagine. I mean, like, how badly does this have to be written that that's a performance issue? Well, so evidently the um, Windows 11 um, beta tester, you know, bug mm-hmm. tracker team doesn't exist anymore. Same thing with like Windows 10. Yeah, they, they cut yeah, that yeah. out. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah, that, that just almost blows my mind to think that you're your data collection is that resource intensive. Now this is mean, pre-production, you know, software, so that could change. So I'm yeah, not. Yeah, could. But I mean, there's also there's bad implementation things you yeah. can see. Like if it's sticking to the gaming stuff, because I think our audience is maybe more exposed to that. A lot of the gaming stuff we talk about. I think about when the uh, like the new Battle Net launcher thing came mm-hmm. out. That was just a crap show. Oh yeah. Because. It was essentially a standalone web page built into it. Built into a um, uh, like a custom browser. Yeah, which just mulched performance. Yep. You know, having to deal with all that like network layer web stuff when it could have just been, you know, actually written in a language that it was meant for. So maybe it's something like that. Maybe a lot of this data recording utility is is somewhere in that higher application stack. You know, it's doing a lot of network stuff. It's doing a lot of browsing stuff. A lot of web stuff. Yep you know, built in HTML and PHP instead of like C++ or something. I, th- I think that's probably the situation. So, I mean, the, you know, exactly why I was like, I think this would be an interesting thing to talk about mm-hmm. because I understand like if it's just poorly optimized and it's choosing like the wrong software yeah. to optimize. Okay. I get that. Like you're trying to optimize the streaming software that doesn't need as much optimization as like the game, that stuff that can get worked out in code. But if you're, intentionally de-optimizing everything or deprioritizing everything else yeah because you want to optimize and prioritize your mm-hmm. your money making thing when these customers have already they're kind of paying customers anyways yeah that that's um that yeah. is going to push people off that that you probably don't want push pe- people to be pushed off by. yeah that's going to be really hard because windows makes on the you know on the consumer non-enterprise like i don't know what you call them like residential or whatever customers um the real money they make there is just on marketing dominance yeah it's like most people have windows so most people are buying word you make your money at word or office 365 or or any of this other stuff you don't have to make that much on your operating system so to see them go that direction is a little odd to me i mean sure like everything takes a little bit of your data and use it you know even if they don't sell it they use it internally Mm -hmm. To, to know what products people want to use and want to buy, usage, you know, statistics and stuff like that. But to prioritize those things, 
just seems really weird because I feel like it doesn't need to be like that does almost scream to me like this has to be like a constant data stream mm -hmm. when it could just be collection and then and then every so and then often upload. like yeah once the resources drop back down you but that's access, that's I, I think they want it to be constant i think they want it to be it's the same data yeah i mean what are they that makes me wonder what they're really going to try and do with it because if it's just data collection and then just metrics runs and stuff like that that doesn't need to be real so I, th I think there's three things that they're probably going to do probably one is like a csam type thing where they're going to try to scan all the files on your computer mm -hmm. and if you've got something that's not supposed to be there or illegal you're going to you know, do, they're going to upload that. They're probably going to use that same engine to have some way of being able to identify possibly pirated or, mm -hmm. you know, user-made content that yeah. might get flagged, and then they can either remove or, you know, send that information to Sony or – because they've done that before, yeah. right? Um, and then the third thing is um, I think that they're probably trying to gather in-the-moment data – that if you that could get overwritten if you leave your computer offline so like if you if you're not playing an MMO you're not playing mm -hmm. this you're not playing that and you're you're playing a game or you're downloading stuff or you're doing things where you don't have um, constant internet availability even though you may have the internet available mm -hmm. you're taking your machine offline for whatever reason yeah if that's the case or you're caching something or something like that having this constant telemetry allows for that to not be local on the machine and possibly be taken off or removed like they can they can gather that mm -hmm. and and do something and it might be nefarious might not be yeah. it might it might be something where they're trying to do something like well you know for all these good reasons we're trying to do this but they could also be doing things that you know the the, the privacy concerns yeah. are there yeah. like i totally get it um and and i've struggled with some of these same things like in my personal job like mm -hmm. having to both collect data but you know keep people's stuff private and there's a balancing act there but companies like microsoft and google and amazon have not google more so than the other two but they mm -hmm. still do not have the track record to say we should we should be able to do this. I mean, Microsoft yeah. does have some things though, like and their Xbox controllers, for instance. I was listening to my uh, Linus uh, Sebastian from Linus Tech Tips talk about this earlier this morning. He was talking about how you can still, in all of the Xbox controllers, replace the battery in them. Mm -hmm. That's unheard of for the most part oh, yeah. globally. Um, and you and it uses standard batteries. It's not some sort of specialized thing that mm -hmm. becomes e waste. They're all rechargeable, all replaceable standardized AA batteries. Um, that's pretty awesome. But then you have something like this Surface Book that's set in here that is not as easily replaceable and yeah. more welded together. So, so, you know, like... Yeah, I mean, Microsoft's got a better track record than most, but I guess I'm more concerned about, and maybe this is the nerd in me, the optimization of all that. Mm -hmm. Because that should be such a lightweight process. I'm should hoping be. that's like a bug. They've messed something up. It's going too far. Because I just can't imagine like something like data collection that you already got access to being such a performance hog. Yeah. I mean, most of the things that you think about the um, that are like classic resource hogs, like certain web browsers and stuff like that, is because they are enforcing a hey 
I need this much memory to run. I'm going to have it available beforehand. You know, every time there's a new tab, it's actually a new process, even though it's in its own window and stuff like that. But like data collection, even as a stream, is so light. Yeah. So who knows? I guess time will tell, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll find out what's going on with that. But that seems like something that should have really been squashed before the first like. Because I think like last week it dropped, right? Like yeah. you can get it now. Well, it's 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 it alpha, comes, but you can still get it. Yeah. Well, it's beta. Yeah. It's the the beta, but you can get the the productions coming up like in like a week and a half. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you're on their whatever early adopter thing. I no, know no, I you can get, you can like buy it in stores, like coming up in like a. In like no, no, a I mean like last week. Like yeah, I'm, you I'm can, part you of can, their beta for yeah. like their browsers and stuff. Yeah, you can totally, beta, yeah. you can totally, you've been able to get it for a couple of weeks. Um, like as far as like the Windows 11 like beta that you could be part of. And, yeah, well, it's, it's open out is what I'm saying. Like anyone yeah. can grab it. Yeah. That looks like October 5th. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's the end of this episode, unless you got something else to say about that. No, all right. Good. Um, you know, check out the Chatham wine, uh, Chatham Hill wine, the Carlos. It's a pretty good, pretty good thing to drink. Um, otherwise, uh, we have a Patreon and a Twitter, and we'd love for you to engage with us there. You know, we do appreciate uh, anybody that gives us suggestions or anything like that. So we'd love to hear from any of our patrons or anyone that's got any thoughts on, um, you know, just. Things for the podcast, podcast topics. But uh, this has been the October 11th, uh, 2021 episode of Beer and Broadband, Season 4, Episode 13. And uh, we'll catch you next time.